Hey, hope you're having a good day. Good morning, if it's the morning to you, it's the morning for me. So, we are rocking into Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 15 was filled with parables regarding the personal, inclusive nature of God and the kingdom of God. Three parables that focus strongly on God individually seeking you out. Jesus and his ministry performs a lot of miracles, teaches a lot of amazing things. But you can't overlook the fact that he is trying so hard to explain to his disciples, the apostles and and the followers, all the people who are listening to his messages, that there is joy amongst the angels. There's joy in heaven when one sinner repents. There's this common belief nowadays that if you do good, you know, you get what you give. If you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. The reality is that we're all sinners. When it comes to the kingdom of God, the playing field is level. When it comes to the realm of earth, the the when it comes to our existence, our, our mortal existence on earth, we exist in class systems. We exist in, there's uh, socioeconomic differences. There are physical differences. There's, we're all unique in our own way. There's a lot of similarities, but we're, we're, we're staggered in these tiers. We're seen on these tiers, whether it's within, you know, familial, family status, whether it's in organizational status, wherever you are in the hierarchy, whether you're the lowest tier employee or the or the highest tier CEO or founder, we exist in this in many layers of 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 our of our economy of our civilizations all around Earth. But when it comes to sin, God sees sin through a singular lens. He sees it as being. You, you can either be walking towards righteousness and towards avoiding sin and, and repenting, or you can ignore your sin and tell yourself, well, at least I'm not doing this, at least I'm not doing that. You know, I may be going to the bars on weekends and I may be, you know, having... I may be sleeping with people here or there, but at least I'm not a murderer. At least I'm, you know, there's so many ways to justify or write off your sin. You may fill yourself with distractions, watching movies with explicit content all the time and filling your days and your off time with things not of God. 
with just secular pop culture references and, and pop culture content. Or you can be filling your days with content that is of the kingdom. But you can be filling your days with, and, and none of us are perfect with this. I mean, my wife and I, we've been watching the uh, the Terminator movies. <laughs> Going back to the to the eighties with with Arnold Schwarzenegger and we've been we were you know just laughing at the um, there there are some very inappropriate scenes in in even the Terminator that I you know I haven't seen the movie since I was a young child but watching it you know twenty years later it's like you don't even remember what you're seeing it's like I was you know six seven years old watching you know the Terminator with pretty gruesome scenes and. And, you know, maybe not in the most perfect language. And there is definitely, there's definitely some, some questionable things in it. But, like, it, you know, it's still a movie that we can enjoy and, and have fun watching together. Um, we watched, you know, the third one but last night. But, so it's, so I get it. Like, there, it, it's not, it's not terrible to, to enjoy your life and, and, and to, and to view things that maybe aren't of the kingdom, but as believers, we do need to do our due diligence to try to outweigh the scale, right? It's like, don't just give in completely where you're just playing video games or you're just watching TV shows or listening to music all the time and you never read your Bible and you never listen to worship music and you never worship period and you never pray and you or never seeking out, you know, documentaries or content, or if you're watching YouTube channels, you're, you're watching YouTube channels focused on pop culture and, and materialism versus the hundreds of, of channels out there that focus on Christian content. And that goes the same for apps, the apps on your phone, you know, try to outweigh the scale. And that's kind of what my goal is, not only pairing with doing my personal Bible studies to be shared in, in my personal Bible studies as I'm growing in my faith, but to take it one step further in, in my personal life, try to outweigh the scale on what I'm doing. And when it comes to, when it comes to consuming content, to try to outweigh the scale and consume more kingdom content versus worldly content. So one way that I'm trying to do that is on the fergusonpoetryproject.com website. When you go to the website and you can see where all the podcast links are and it can direct you to kind of what, what's going on there, but there's a, a link on the main page to Kingdom Content. And my goal is that as I am reading books, watching movies, watching TV shows, coming across YouTube channels, being introduced f- through people, through fellow disciples, through brothers and sisters in Christ, when they're feeding into me and we're growing and learning in, 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 in amidst our gatherings, amidst our community, when I'm learning of new kingdom content, my goal is to share that. So on the website, you can go to kingdom content and my goal is for it to become a platform where there is an immense amount of resources. It's limited right now because I just started it. It's uh, We're in April, almost into May of 2021. So we're just getting started, but the goal is to create a platform that is kingdom content. So for people 
who are at that place in their faith. And you know, this podcast is for people who, who really are believers who are seeking to dive deeper. There's amazing resources and churches, and, and your local church should be a place where non-believers can come and feel safe learning about God. But then there's your intimate Bible studies where it's, t- it's kind of taking those people who are seeking to dive deeper into faith and walking with them into that deeper faith. And that's what this Bible study is meant to be. So to push people back a little bit and say, hey, you know, start from Luke chapter one and and catch up to where we're at now, knowing that there are these resources readily, readily available. So when you're ready, you can attempt to outweigh the scale. Outweigh the scale on the content and the entertainment content specifically that you consume. The entertainment industry is just so renowned for being fully materialistic. It's like you just list, turn on any pop culture radio station, listen to the songs, and you'll see really quickly that they're not trying to save lives. They're trying to make money. And not that money is the, um, not that money is the devil himself, but we do know a common phrase that is money is the root of all evil. We do know that Jesus speaks thoroughly on money in regards to you cannot serve both God and money. One will take over in your life. So outweigh the scale. Help me outweigh the scale. If you have the ability to reach out to me, please do. Send me some content that's moved you. I won't take up too much more time. We're going to rock straight into Luke chapter 16. So after Jesus gave his parables regarding the individual personal relationship that Jesus wants and the rejoicing in heaven when that one is found, it goes into the parable of the dishonest manager. He also said to the disciples, and this is right after him talking about the uh, prodigal son. There was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided to do I have, I have decided what to do, so that I am removed from management people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write down eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest with a very little is also dishonest with much. 
If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So right there, we, we see that Jesus is very specific. So what we see is it says, the man who ran the estate, freeing the owner from being involved in every detail, because he was not closely supervised, it was easy for him to be dishonest or lazy. So then it goes to Gendy say, I just want to read these footnotes because it just helps. The manager may simply have been dishonest, but Jews were forbidden to take ursary. And one way around the regulation was to overcharge. The man might have borrowed 400 gallons of oil and had the bill made out for 800, the extra being the equivalent of a high rate interest. By significantly reducing the amount of interest, the debtor owed, the manager would have obliged the debtor to assist him personally, at least for a time, without diminishing the principal owed to his master. So that just gives you a little bit of insight on, on that culture of that day. It's really not much different today. If you buy a large ticketed item or you take out a loan, if you take out a $5,000 loan, you're not paying $5,000 back. When you take out a $200,000 loan to buy a house, you're not paying $200,000 for a house. You're paying I mean, depending on the interest rate, you could be paying $350,000 for a $200,000 house. You could be paying $45,000 for a $20,000 car, depending on the interest rates you take out, how long it takes you to pay out, whether or not you have to stall payments because you go through hard times. These are ways that companies, specific, specifically creditors or, or lending companies, can just absolutely rake you over the coals. And the best way to live is debt-free. It is something that my wife and I, just because times are hard and, you know, we didn't come from money, so it, it takes a long time. I mean, we're both in our upper 20s and we are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, but we are still struggling to get out of debt. And it is something most people are in debt in some format. Even people that seem to have a lot of assets also have a lot of debt. And what God... And Jesus wants you to see is that like the freedom that comes with following Jesus can exist in your soul. But applying the teachings of Jesus and applying the things that you can learn through the Bible, it will encourage you to bring that freedom out. That that freedom that exists within you where you can be locked in prison like Paul and you can be literally enslaved on the outside, you can experience freedom on the inside. But Jesus wants you to fight, to bring that inner peace outward. And one way to do that, one of the biggest ways and best ways to do that, is to become financially free. And for some people, it will never be an option. But for those who it is an option, 
You have to fight. And even if you don't see it to be an option, even if you really don't, still fight. Don't just give in. Don't just cave in the towel and say, well, it's just not for me. You know, I've got the medical bills. I've got the you know, I'm house poor. I've got four kids, five kids, six kids, whatever your inner, inner excuses can be. You have to still fight. You can't just cave in. You can't just rely on the government or the federal government that is not set up for the individual. It's set up for the masses. You can't rely on that. You have to rely on God. And you have to let him be your strength. And that inner peace has to be fought to brought out, be brought outwards. And so my wife and I, we've been fighting for well over a year now. And we're fighting to break free. Because then our money becomes our money. To tithe, to serve, to give. To make our community better. Don't want to dive too much deeper into that, but it's a lot to unpack from this chapter. The law and the kingdom of God. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. And then divorce and remarriage. Everyone who divorces his wife and remarries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. So this passage and this verse hits home for me, as it probably does for a lot of people today. And it's that's not a good thing. It never is when there, there's a verse that, that hits home like that uh, in the sense of me, myself, I may be on my first marriage, but my wife is on her second marriage. And obviously there are, there are many reasons, just like for any, and there are plenty of reasons on why divorce is approved from the church's point of view. Even Jesus gives due to the law of Moses when it comes to this concept. But it says in black and white, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Well, considering that my wife was married before and we got married, that clearly means that I have committed adultery. So in that, it's not to be run from. And that's something that people take for granted. People think, people want to rewrite the rules or change meanings of words to fit their agenda, to fit their to fit their narrative of, of coming across as being so holy and righteous and pure. And it's just not the case. We are all faulted. We all fall short of the glory of God. What we have to do is admit our sin and repent from it and be genuine about it and move forward and live our lives and continue to seek the kingdom and continue to experience the kingdom of heaven at hand, that eternal peace inside yourself and fight to bring it outward. So for me to deny what it's saying in Luke chapter 16, verse 18, it's to lie to myself and it's to lie to God. And it's the same, I'd go as far as to say, people who 
get abortions, people who get divorced, people who murder or who are sexually immoral in whatever facet. If you exist in an open marriage, you are not living for God and you have to repent and stop. If it comes to something like murder, it's like as touchy as a subject it is. It's like if you were someone who had an abortion, it is always going to be murdering what could be a human. You might not call it a human. You might not. You might try to change and, and flip. It's not going to grow to be a zebra. It's not going to grow to be a horse. A fetus will always grow to be a human child, either a boy or a girl. And when you terminate a pregnancy, you're terminating what could have been a beautiful human life. That does not condemn you to hell, but you have to repent. You have to say, God, I'm so sorry. I was so ignorant. I was so arrogant. I was doing something that was truly for my benefit. It was to make my life easier. God's going to respect that. If you break down and you cry and you ask for forgiveness, God is going to respect that. If you've had one, if you've had three, if you've had five, if you've had ten abortions, I know that's controversial. But if you genuinely go to God and you say, I'm so sorry, I, I did not understand what I was doing. But to try to manipulate yourself and lie to yourself and lie to God continually and say, well, no, it's not murder because it's my body, it's my life. You're just lying to yourself. And deep down you know it. But like I said, this isn't a condemnation. You're not, that's not a death sentence. Sin will lead to death if you don't repent from it. And if you're feeling that internal guilt or you feel like you've just been psychologically damaged from mistakes of your past, all you have to do is ask for forgiveness. But you also have to turn away from that life. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. I'm just going to keep doing living my life, and as long as I ask Jesus for forgiveness, I'm good. It doesn't work that way. There has to be true repentance, which means turning away from your life of sin. If you're a drug addict, you can't just continue using drugs. If you take pills or anything, if a doctor prescribes you with pills that alter your state of mind, and it's meant to be used as a crutch to get you back to a healthier place so then you can wing off the pills, but you're five, ten years down the road of using the pills, you need to repent. For me, in divorce, me and my wife, we have had to sit down. We do couples counseling together to keep our marriage strong and to keep our foundation strong. And we pursue, repent, we we pray. We pray together. We talk to God and we, we repent. And it's like, I wish, you know, I would have been more aware of, of how to handle the situation. But, you know, even if before we got together, this verse was fresh on my mind, I don't necessarily know it would have changed the outcome because I'm imperfect. And when, when you fall in love and, and you feel like God's bringing you together, it's hard to fight that. But I'm so grateful for my decision and for what I did. But I'm not going to lie and say, well, no, I'm not an adulterer. That couldn't be me because I want to I learn about God and I want to work for a church and I want to I read the Bible and teach people about God and I want to bring kingdom content out in the world. Like I, I want my life to matter. So I'm not an adulterer and I could go along with that lie, but that's not going to help me. That's not going to help anybody. 
what can help people is, is relating to people and people who are on maybe their second or even third marriage. God's, God does not necessarily condone that, but when you end up and your eyes open, whatever situation you're in, when your eyes open, you can't let that situation force you to close your eyes again. You have to keep them open, and it hurts. You look at yourself in the mirror, you open your eyes, and you see what you've become. And what you have to do is you have to acknowledge it, recognize it, analyze it, think about it, reflect on it, pray about it, meditate on it. You worship God that you're still alive and that he's given you more time because a lot of people don't get the extra time. A lot of people open their eyes on their deathbed and it's too late. And even then, there's still a little bit of time. Just like the man hanging on the cross next to Jesus. Jesus says, brother, today you'll be with me in paradise. That man was in essence on his deathbed, but he had that true, he had a true encounter with Jesus. Not just a get out of jail free card. I've been using it for 50 years and it's done me good this up to this point. You can't do that. That man had his first personal encounter with Jesus on the cross. And because of that, he went to paradise. He experienced heaven. I know that's a lot. I just threw a lot out there, but I really hope the message is through that wherever you're at in life, when your eyes open to who Jesus is, that that's when you need to just fall to your knees. Be grateful. Acknowledge what you've done, whatever sin you've committed, whatever realm of sin you're in, whatever of the Ten Commandments or whatever laws you've broken in, in, in the eyes of God. Acknowledge it, accept it, repent from it, and move forward. The rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his fingers in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm. A great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them 
lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And that's the end of chapter 16. I, I don't know why, but this passage is really, really powerful in a way that it hasn't been to me prior. I feel like this is one of those passages that you just read over. Jesus is talking specifically about the afterlife. He's talking about hell, and he's talking about heaven. He's talking about the rich man who has everything in life, Lazarus, a poor man who does not, who has sores, he's, he's riddled with skin disease, he's riddled with poor economic status. And instead of him giving to the poor, he lives his life, soaks in his luxury. And now he's dead. And he's begging Abraham. And we're talking about Abraham, the father of Christianity, Judaism, Islam, any monotheistic religion, truly monotheism. In human history, monotheism came from Abraham. He came from the southern land of Ur and Mesopotamia, which, ironically enough, even in the secular world, Everyone agrees, every historian agrees that the first known sophisticated human civilization was Mesopotamia. And in the Bible, it's specific. Abraham comes from Ur in the southern land of Mesopotamia, which from where we believe Mesopotamia to have been, the southern part would have been in a very trade-prominent region, meaning he was not only surrounded, Abraham was not only surrounded by many languages and cultures, but also many religions, many beliefs, many gods. So through that, he could see there's all these gods, and your god may be great, the god of blacksmithing, and the, the god of the ocean, or the god of the sun, the god of weaving, or whatever talents that people may have had. But my god, our god, my god is one, one god. My god is all, my god is the creator. My God is the thing that created your gods. And that power led to the formation of the Hebrew people, passed down eventually to Moses when he frees the people out of Egypt in Exodus. So this is that Abraham that Jesus is speaking of. And this man, this rich man, he's concerned. He's experiencing torment and pain and he's concerned for his family. Oh, God, if I only I would have known. So he reaches. And he's in Abraham's response. Look, if they're not going to listen, you know, you, you lived your life, so hopefully they'll hear what I did or hear what Moses is going to do or did or hear what the prophets after Moses is, are going to do or, or what they did. Or He makes a comment. 
he makes a comment saying, no, he, he, he's, he just, he's not agreeing. Moses isn't good enough. The prophets aren't good enough. No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, and the beautiful part about this is that knowing the end of the story, and Jesus is speaking this to his disciples, And he said to them, Abraham is saying to the rich man, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, if that's not good enough, they're not going to be convinced if someone rises from the dead. And it's a shot at some of these righteous people. It's a shot at some of the people who don't believe. So the disciples hearing this, I can't even imagine where their mind is at. For the people hearing what he's saying, it's like, Because Jesus knows. And it must not have hit him for years later. But Jesus knows that he's going to rise from the dead. And he's going to be walking and talking with a lot of people for the 40 days before his ascension. After he resurrects, he reveals himself. And even people who saw him, walked with him, talked with him, didn't even believe then. We know the apostles did. We know that Thomas... It's renowned that Thomas was the last of, to truly believe that Jesus was God. That's why he has the nickname Doubting Thomas. But even then, people denied. And, but Jesus foretold this, just like he for, he's already foretold his death twice. But Jesus has foretold this through this teaching that he's having at the, at the end of chapter 16. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should be rise from the dead. If someone should rise from the dead. And he knows that he's about to. He's about to rise from the dead. He's about to be murdered, crucified, and resurrected. And he knows in, in, in how much pain that would cause Jesus, knowing that he's about to be the ultimate sacrifice for humanity, for every single person who is living, who has lived, who will ever live, He's going to be the representation. He's going to be the sacrifice. The Son of God. God in the flesh. He's going to be that person in human history. And there's still going to be people who are so prideful, who are so consumed in their own riches, who are lovers of money and not of God. And they're all going to fall. And even the billionaires of the world today will not carry a cent into the afterlife. And many of them will ask, why? I had everything, and now I have nothing. I'm not prepared. And Jesus will say, you had a whole lifetime to prepare. And the preparation was as simple as asking me into your heart. Was asking God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, was asking them into your heart and repenting from your life of sin. Knowing that you're still going to sin, knowing that you're still going to fall short, but when it comes for your day of judgment and you are in the courtroom before God, Jesus will stand up. He will volunteer himself. He will take on whatever your judgment is, whatever your penalty is. He takes it on. God will look at him and say, your penalty is death. And Jesus will say, okay. And God will look it to the cross. 
and see Jesus dying all over again. And through that perfect sacrifice, he's resurrected all over again. You're free. I don't have much to say after that. Have a good day. God bless.